You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that am. So um, I want to start this fine Monday morning looking at some statistics. Today, what I want to look at is interceptions. I didn't uh, get this question out on Twitter. It was a weekend. I don't know. But I got it now. So if you want to answer the question in your head and pause it and think about it or whatever, go for it. Um, but this is, this is I, maybe I'll put it out on, ugh, not very many people are awake anyways. It would be a good one because this one's difficult. And it also really points at a few people that are not really highlighted among Packers defenders. One in particular is not highlighted enough. Um, but we're looking at primarily multiple interception games. For example... January 24th, 2021, Jair Alexander has two, count them, two interceptions in one game. But honestly, that's not as impressive as it seems, as much as it seems extremely rare. 163 times that's happened. And you look at guys like Charles Woodson, he's done it multiple times. Willie Wood has done it multiple times. Um, Leroy Butler, a lot of guys that you would expect. Morgan Burnett has a couple. Herb Adderley has a bunch. So how about three or more, which seems absolutely crazy? Believe it or not, and maybe this has to do with the rules changes. I'm sure it does, all that kind of stuff. It's easier for quarterbacks, et cetera, et cetera. But it's still impressive. The last time any Green Bay Packer has had three interceptions in a single game or more was 1984 Tom Flynn. That was in our 41-9 to victory over the Detroit Lions. Before that, well... We'll skip the people that maybe had more. Ted Hendricks, 1974. Ken Ellis, 1971. Bob Forte, 1947. Herm Rorig, 1946. Joe Laws, 1944. Ted Fritsch, 1944. And Irv Comp, 1943. But two different Packers had four interceptions in a single game. In 1953, Bobby Dillon did it. Again, was it against the Detroit Lions? In fact, three of these 10 games came against the Detroit Lions. Somehow in 1953, Bobby Dillon had four interceptions and we still lost the game 15-34. to Can you imagine how badly we would have been beaten by Detroit if we didn't have four interceptions? And then Willie Buchanan, 1978, four interceptions against the uh, San Diego Chargers. But here's another really interesting question. If you want to look at some of the best... DBs the Packers have ever had. Um, how many times have you gotten multiple interception games? There are 33 Green Bay Packers with at least uh, two games in which they had at least two interceptions. Ted Fritsch in the 40s, Rebel Steiner in the 50s, 
Val Joe Walker in the 50s, Benny Aldridge, 1953, Ray Nitschke had two of those games, which is pretty dope. Two two plus interception games. Both of them, by the way, came against Dallas. So guy just hated Dallas, apparently. <laughs> One of those he actually scored a touchdown. Didn't really need it. We uh beat him 41 to 7. So, you know. Jim Hill in the 70s, Tom Flynn in the 80s, Mark Murphy in uh 88 and 91. It's super random. Pretty sure there's no relation, although Mark Murphy did play in the NFL and I believe he was a safety. This Mark Murphy is a safety. But uh, we had Mark Stephen Murphy, um, the president and CEO of the Green Bay Packers currently, is Mark Hodge Murphy. And he played for Washington, I think, most or all of his career. Yeah, all of his career, 77 to 84. What was this guy's years? 80 to 91. So, huh, fair enough. Dave Brown, Tyrone Williams, starting to get a little bit more modern, 99 and 2001. Uh, Mike McKenzie, same time period. I do remember Mike McKenzie for sure. Um, Atari Bigby actually had multiple two interception games, which is honestly pretty shocking because I only remember Atari Bigby just smoking people. I you you could have told me Atari Bigby has never had an interception in his career, and I would have believed you. Uh, two interceptions against Seattle in two thousand nine when we won forty eight to ten. Atari Bigby had two picks against the St. Louis Rams in two thousand seven. Uh, Morgan Burnett had two, which is just crazy. Those guys were side by side. Bill Forster in the 50s. Can Al- oh, 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 now we're up to three. So now we got guys with three games in which they had at least two interceptions. Bill Forrester in the 50s. Ken Ellis in the 70s. Willie Buchanan in the 70s. Mark Lee in the 80s. Tim Lewis in the 80s. Darren Sharper, 2000-2001. Tremont Williams. And everybody's favorite safety, Ha Ha Clinton Dix. Telling you, man, you, Packer fans don't appreciate him enough. I know things weren't the best in the world, but he was decent, man. And then he did us the ultimate favor, went to Chicago, and was like, man, I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> Speaking of, one of his two interception games came against Chicago. 2016, December 18th, 2016, we beat Chicago 30-27. to The other two games we actually lost, so that's random. That's got to be just horrible. But yeah, three two interception games for HaHa Clinton Dix. Um, next up, guys with four multiple interception games: Charlie Brock, uh, 30s and 40s; Joe Laws in the 40s; Bob Forte in the 40s; uh, Ted Cook in the 40s; and then Willie Wood, much more uh, well-known name in the 60s and 70s. And again, keep this in the back of your mind: like how rare this is. First of all, just getting any two interception games, these guys that I listed have four. So we're already well past anything that's really likely to happen for anybody in the near future. And we've got a long way to go. Not in terms of names. There's only six guys left, but it goes up pretty exponentially from here. Irv Comp is the only Packer with five games with multiple interceptions. He played in the 40s. Leroy Butler had six. 1998 against the Giants, he had two. He had two against Detroit in 97, two against Minnesota in 97, two against San Diego in 96, two against Tampa in 96, and he had two against Minnesota in 1990. So Minnesota, Minnesota, and Detroit, he got three rivals in that group, but six times with multiple interceptions. Uh, He ended up scoring a touchdown uh, against San Diego. The only other guy with six, appropriately, Charles Woodson. 
Minnesota in 2011, Carolina in 2011, Detroit in 2009, Cincinnati in 2009, Detroit in 2008, Seattle in 2006. But wait, there's more. Herb Adderley, seven games with multiple interceptions. Pittsburgh in 69, Atlanta 68, Baltimore 65, Pittsburgh 65, Chicago 64, Baltimore 63, Minnesota 62. That's the year I'm listing off if people are confused. Like, what numbers does he keep saying at the end? I'm so confused. And then one of the most, and and believe me, he's appreciated, but still, despite being so appreciated, one of the most underappreciated football players of all time. Arguably the best wide receiver um, in Green Bay Packers history, not to mention one of the best in NFL history. Don Hudson also had eight games with multiple interceptions. Interceptions. Because back in the day, everybody just did everything. So our wide receiver from the 40s is number two on this list with eight games with multiple interceptions. 1945 against, uh, well, I don't even know these teams, so I'm not even going to try. 45, he did it three times in 1943, twice in 1942, and twice in 1940. Freaking ridiculous. But then, number one overall, again, I'm not going to say he's not appreciated enough. He's in the Hall of Fame, four-time Pro Bowler and all that, but I don't know the guy's name as much as I know guys like Herb Adderley and a few of the other guys. But 11 times, Bobby Dillon. Safety Bobby Dillon from 1953 to 1958. 11 games, including 1953 when he had four interceptions against Detroit. So it's kind of cool because, I don't know, you hear some of the names and you're like, yeah, the, you know, Herb Adderley's one of the best DBs we've had. Like, oh, cool. And it's just, it's just a, it's just it, it, rote memorization, you know? But to be able to just go through this and look at the numbers and be like, holy cow. Like, yeah, but Jair's good. Where's he on this list? Like, he's, he's literally not. <laughs> just, he's not on the list. Like, way down there, one interception, uh, one game with multiple interceptions, that's where Jair is. And granted, he hasn't played any amount of time. I'm just saying, you know, you start going through your mind, like, all right, well, Charles Woodson was probably the best, right? Or Leroy Butler is like, yeah, they're, he's, they're up there, but mm, about half as much as Bobby Dillon had. And that's just multiple interception games. That's not just picks. I need that context, you know? I'm a visual learner, so give me a list and let me look like that. And it's like, holy cow. The numbers pop. Anyways, um, I do have one more area in which I solicited questions that I have not got to, and that is Facebook. So we're going to run through some of them. Not a lot of questions here, but uh, Robert wants to know if we're ever going to do a show again where I get interviewed on my own podcast. I think uh, we did that once. JJ interviewed me, and that was a thing. So the answer is maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of just go, man. You know, I, I just, I, I'm just constantly moving forward. And so it usually takes somebody to reach in, grab me, and derail me in order for me to, you know, go divert into a different direction or to even grab my attention takes brute force. So um, if JJ kind of just jumps out on the tracks and is like, we're doing this, it's like, oh, okay, then yes, it'll happen again. Otherwise, I'm going to forget five seconds from now that you asked this question, and I won't schedule it, and I won't set it up, and it's not going to happen. So that's the honest answer to that question. Chris wants to know if there's any major OTA news or rumors across the NFL. As of the last couple weeks, not really. Um, You know, there's a lot of talk about guys doing well. Mostly because, again, all anybody cares about is um, the wide receivers. Plus, at this time of year, you can't really highlight much else. You know, there's no contact. There's no anything going on. So 
We have no idea how well the offensive line is doing or any of that stuff. So it's quarterbacks, wide receivers, basically. And the the general news is everybody looks great except Christian Watson, right? Everybody else out there is like, oh, everybody looks great. Everybody looks great. And then, you know, our media is like, oh, Christian Watson dropped everything. He's going to be terrible. Not to blame our guys that are just reporting, but I'm just saying. It's probably a positive for Packers media that apparently we're the only ones that don't just just lie all the time. <laughs> like... And I think this was the team doing it, but that whole thing with Tua underthrowing a ball, and then it gets featured like, oh, look at this rocket to Tyreek. It's like, dude, Tyreek had to like stop and go backwards to catch that. I don't know what you're talking about, a rocket. Was it like a bottle rocket? Like, then it just stops. You know, a bottle rod, they shoot real fast for like a second, and then they just stop and fall down. I don't know. It's not even a bottle rocket. That, that doesn't even work. Maybe the ET was added by accident. Get it, rock? <laughs> we'll move off it. But the point is, Nothing super big. I mentioned uh, Jahan Dotson. Uh, everybody's excited about Wandale Robinson. Um, of course, Justin Fields looks phenomenal. I don't even know if that's true. There's, there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, they're, they're changing things up to fit the offense to his style of play or whatever. A lot of movement. Here's, here's the issue with stuff like that. Let me just say this real quick. And the, and the Vikings also have made a lot of changes. My concern if I was a Bears fan, if, if the goal is let's just move him, let's get him on the move because standing in the pocket just isn't really working, so we're going to try to move him around. That's great to a point, but again, anytime you're ripping, I'm talking chapters, not just pages, chapters out of your playbook because your quarterback can't do it, that doesn't help you. And so, you know, the, the best offenses are the most complex offenses when you can do everything. The things that make, you know, Russell Wilson and Josh Allen and these guys lethal is because not only do they have the arm strength and, and they have the accuracy, you know, Pat Mahomes is the fact that they can be mobile when they need to be mobile. They can roll out of the pocket when they, you know, Aaron Rodgers is nobody better than that. When the pocket collapses, rolling out, you know, escaping. Tom Brady just masterfully moves within the pocket. I don't think he ever really moves out of it. But the point is, you don't say we're just going to move all the time because that makes you entirely too one-dimensional. And it, 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 you know, what do they always say about rolling out? You cut the field in half. Those things don't help overall in the long haul. So, you know, simplifying is great if, if people are struggling, but real, true, dynamic, scary offenses and defenses are the complex ones. And so that, that's always been a problem, like, for example, in Green Bay, when they start to dumb things down, like it was too complex, so we're going to simplify it. That's good in terms of having football players that are competent. In other words, they go out there and they know what they're doing. The problem is the lack of complexity makes it easier for offenses to, to tear you up. So you're not going to be a great, dynamic, elite defense. There has to be some layer of complexity. And so a lot of times what you hear is, well, what they're going to do is it's simple complexity. Like it's super complex, but it's also super simple. No, it's not. I'm sorry, but it's, it's really talented football players that, that understand a lot of things that become really good football players, not guys that do one thing real good. So we'll see. I mean, obviously they're not just going to roll them out every single play, but the point is that that would more concern me than anything when it's like, well, here's an area of concern. So we're just going to make sure that we never do this. Like That sucks. Um, likewise, Minnesota has talked about they're completely reshaping the offense, which I've kind of been saying that it's pretty clear they're doing that when they started moving Dalvin Cook to the slot. And I looked up the statistics on that and said, he's literally 
like what was it like two times he's ever done that he just he never does that and so i i understand the idea of wanting to get him more involved in the passing game they also went out in free agency and and got brought in a wide receiver or something which again normally would be um unusual because they've been so static in their two wide receivers uh, you know dalvin in the backfield and we're just going to run it and again kudos to them for adding some complexity because if if you're just doing the one thing all the time not that it's one thing but you, you you know very basic formations makes it a little bit harder to be complex the benefit they had is that they didn't really need to be because they had really good athletes good wide receivers that can get open and a quarterback that could get it to them on top of having a athletic bunch of running backs they've always run the ball fairly well the concern there is on the opposite end we have a thing that works and you're changing it and you're adding complexity and it's year one of a more complex offense usually complexity takes time to understand even if not years weeks which is good for the green bay packers who play them in week one so now you're dealing with a new more complex offense and a entirely new defense it's going to take some time to get caught up but again generally nothing super crazy just standard run-of-the-mill type stuff um why don't we go ahead and take a break here I don't know if this is end up going to end up being kind of a short show, but I've got about 20 minutes left that I can talk before I got to get going. So we probably should take a break. Remember, we got our uh, GoFundMes and things to uh, people to help out. And Drew, we're trying to get him his seizure service dog. Thank you very much to Oscar Cardona for the $75 donation. We are $60 away from $6,000. It's a pretty major milestone. We've only we're only trying to get to $7,440. Again, remember this is. I know when you say things kind of repetitively, it gets to be repetitive and you don't really think about it, but just think how life-changing something like this would be a dog trained to uh, help Drew with his epilepsy. That's pretty cool stuff. There's also a link in the Facebook group for uh, Neebles, recently passed away. Um, that is already up to $8,500, so we are past the 50% mark, but I'm kind of hoping we don't uh, kind of get to a point where there's a flurry. You know, I mean. It's understandable. Everybody that's willing to give gives. And then it's like, well, I mean, I already gave money. But uh, $8,550 of the $15,000 goal. I'm hoping we can kind of keep that pace going here. So um, if you haven't yet given, any little bit will uh, will be helpful. Again, we just want to remove and alleviate any and all financial burdens that may be as a result because they should not have to, to deal with that on top of the pain of losing a, a husband and a father so i've also got the palmer home i haven't pinned that anywhere because i don't want to take up space from Nebels or um or drew but um i did post it on twitter and facebook if you want to be able to find that let me know but we're once again trying to raise money to, i think it's i think it's twenty thousand dollars will feed an entire family for one year and um, they're upping it this year. I think they set a goal of 20000 We got 45000 So like, let's just do 40000 this year, see if we can reach it again. So trying to t- feed two families, basically. And again, this is kids who uh, need a better home environment. And so they have these homes that can house, I think it's only like four kids. And then there's, there's two parents in the home. So it's just a much more um, stable and, and loving and nurturing environment. That's going to run through, I don't know, uh, September, October. I believe something like that. So we've got a few months to be able to to pitch in. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break? We'll come back, answer a few questions, and see what uh, we have left for time. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. 
We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jeff wants to know what players are most most likely to be punt returners and kick returners this year. Any chance that Amari is still in the group, or is he done as a return man? Um, I'll say he's unlikely to win the job. I don't know that he's done. Um, the fact that we have a new special teams coordinator makes me think we're kind of going to start from scratch. But generally, I mean, if you just look at the offensive line and the wide receivers and everything else, as I've been telling you guys, which most of you already know, but just for those that don't, don't panic, right? A lot of us want to hear that all the rookies are now number ones, you know, the offensive line and the wide receivers and all that. And none of the guys we drafted are the number ones on wide receiver. Generally, what they do is they keep things the way they were and they give respect to the veterans that are here and that have done it. Uh, you've been here, you know what you're doing, you've kind of earned your stripes a little bit, you get first crack. Even if we know you're probably going to lose that job, we're going to give you the respect as a veteran to get that number one spot and then have to lose it. 
Now, certain guys maybe don't have to go through that rigmarole, depending how weak the position is and how early you were picked. Guys like Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt, they're probably, uh, maybe not Wyatt as much. You know, when things get started, you've got Jerron Reed there. You've got Dean Lowry there. They'll probably make a battle out of it. And it's not really a battle. I mean, they rotate or whatever. But in, in terms of out of respect, again, I don't know. But Quay, I mean, I, maybe Chris Barnes gets this first crack at it. But all that to say, if we didn't have a different special teams unit, I would think that uh, just based on that, they kind of start where we left off. Amari gets first crack, and then we quickly push as many people into that as possible, pick the best player. And again, presumably that will not be Amari Rogers. But again, now that we have a new special teams coach, he's coming in with a fresh set of eyes. I think Amari gets a crack at it. Because again, he's not going to walk in there and be like, you dropped a punt that one time, you loser. You're not even getting a tryout. You're garbage. I hate you. He doesn't, that's, you know, I don't think that's his process, but I don't know. But yeah, I, I think a lot of guys are going to get a crack at it. Christian Watson absolutely is going to. Um, Randall Cobb maybe will. I mean, we know he was successful back in the day. And since he's not a major prominent piece of the offense, I mean, he he's important. I've already said, I think we underrated his value last year. Um, the production wasn't there, but the, the quality of the play was was not bad. Um, Amari, Samori, Dobbs, especially the rookies, you know, Danny Davis, these guys especially are, are going to be fighting for that because we don't know what they can contribute on the offense to begin with. And we want to see what they can do on special teams as well, just to kind of get the best idea. Um, and you, you kind of start on special teams first. In other words, that's, that's what we need to make sure of, first of all. And then if, you, if you're so good on offense that we get to that point where we're like, we don't want to sacrifice it, which we had that discussion yesterday in terms of you know, where is that line? Should there be a line, et cetera? But the point is, let's find out if you're a good returner or gunner or anything first, and we'll figure out the rest from there. Um, one of the questions, I think, kind of continuing on from what we talked about yesterday, is somebody too valuable? And this is where I would absolutely draw the line. I don't know if the, um, you know, if you even have a line, I don't know, but but I do. One really good return guy in college that I don't want anywhere near returning or special teams or anything is Jair Alexander. That guy was a dynamic return man. I'm sorry, I I don't have the courage. (laughs) It's not important enough to me. But I mean, our DBs in general, I mean, if nothing else, if you're willing to put these guys on kick coverage as gunners, we we got a bunch of four, three studs uh, uh, in our DB group. Amos has got some wheels. Savage has got blazing speed. Jair, Stokes, we added Tyreek, uh, Tariq Carpenter. I know we're getting kind of away from your question, but even if they, you don't want to use them as return guys, you could see some of them getting a few more snaps in that, in that regard. But uh, generally, it's either going to be probably one of your wide receivers or your running backs that's going to be returning kicks. Uh, last year, you had obviously Amari was our top guy, but also Kylan Hill, running back, was our number two kickoff guy, potentially. That's what you're looking at. Uh, if you're just looking at the best guy statistically, it was Kylan Hill, 19.9 yards per return. That's not the greatest numbers in the world, but he was number one. After that was actually Malik Taylor, who was the third highest on the list. So another potential um, kick return guy. Um, you also, where are we at here? After that was actually Aaron Jones. It was only two, but you know, again, in terms of willingness to put these guys out there, it was Aaron Jones followed by A.J. Dillon. Now we're down to one kickoff return, but A.J. Dillon, Jonathan Garvin, Alan Lazard, Equinemius, 
Adrian Amos, Jonathan Garvin. That must have been a squib kick or something. I bet you that these are okay. Never mind. <laughs> these have got to be onside kicks. But Aaron Jones had two. He wasn't good at it. Nine point five yards per return, but it was a thing. Um, punt return is where it gets a little bit less. There's not nearly as many guys, but uh, Amari obviously twenty two returns, followed by David Moore, followed by Malik Taylor, and Randall Cobb actually had one. So they did try him at it. Unfortunately, um, Malik Taylor and Randall Cobb each had one opportunity. Both of them muffed the punts. Amari muffed one on 22 attempts, and he's just the worst ever. Does anybody remember Malik and Randall Cobb also did it on one attempt? So I, I guess if you're asking me to put money down, jeez, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna roll the dice on some rookies. We got a bunch of wide receivers. I don't think they're all gonna be big contributors. Um, so I'm looking at Christian Watson particularly probably as a kick returner. You got Dubs and Toure. You've also got Tyler Goodson and BJ Baylor. I'm just going to roll the dice and say the guys we have aren't very good and the guys that we added are going to be better because, I mean, again, it's it's a low bar and we know the guys we have aren't that good. I mean, had last year. So that's that's what I'm going to go with. Maybe if you clean up the operation a little bit, the kick and punt return game gets a little bit better. You have a little bit more space for guys like Amari. I don't know. I don't know. But I'll, I'll just say Christian Watson's a kick returner, and I don't know. Punt returner. I, yeah, I, don't, I, I, don't, I got nothing. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he does both. Who knows? And then Eric asked a question that I kind of already addressed, but it's uh, with the hype surrounding our draft picks, are we looking at having offense and defensive rookie of the year on our team? What would it take to achieve that from a stat line perspective? Does any other rookie wide receiver have a better situation? So the second one I've already answered. Um, I don't necessarily think so. The only guy is... Um, what Sky Moore with the Chiefs, maybe. And it really is just going to come down to Christian Watson's, if it's Watson, it could be Dobbs, I don't know, but the relationship that they form with Aaron Rodgers and how they're utilized and how early they can get on the field, because it's going to be a cumulative thing. I mean, if you dominate, but don't even really get much playing time until the halfway mark, and you end up with 600 yards and five touchdowns, there's no way you're going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. But if you do that the entire year, and get 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns, and now we're talking Offensive Rookie of the Year campaign. Now, as far as the first part, are we looking at having Offensive and Defensive Rookie of the Year? Obviously, the odds are astronomically low, which doesn't really make sense, but I'm going to stick with that. It is possible, and, and I pointed this out again. There's, there is a, if you go back and look, I think the title, in fact, today we're posting a podcast on the Draft Podcast. Um, it's always Draft Season Podcast. But they're doing offensive and defensive rookie of the year talk. So they're going to elaborate a little bit on that. But if you go back a little bit, um, the title is basically what it is. And there's probably been several. I almost think JJ did one. But the one I did, I know I, I talked about this, and that it's probably a higher probability than usual just based on what it takes to, to get those types of numbers. You know, first of all, you'd need a wide receiver. And, and we haven't really done that in the past very, very regularly gotten wide receivers that you can look at and say, especially with Devontae being gone, you have the potential to be that guy. Years past, that just really hasn't been a thing. And then defensively, it's really, it's either it's sacks or interception. And unless you've got one guy in this group like Sauce Gardner or whatever that ends up with five, six interceptions in the season, it's probably going to be a sack guy. And then you look at the field and say, well, who's going to be getting all the sacks? Is Aiden going to be that guy? Maybe. I don't know. Trayvon Walker, probably not. He's kind of a Rashawn. It's going to take some time. And so you look at Devontae Wyatt, but you also look at um, Quay Walker. Now, is Quay Walker going to get 12 sacks? I don't know. There was a question posed to me 
that I'm going to have to look a little bit deeper into, but is, is it possible we use him like Micah Parsons? Which is to say, on occasion, in fact, his, his entire question had more to do with uh, maybe we're not quite as thin at outside linebackers as we think because we could use Quay in that outside linebacker role. Maybe. I don't know. But either way, I think we could use him to blitz even just from the inside linebacker position. And, and as I said, I, I think because of the trust we have along the defensive line, off the edge, the corners, the, the linebacker in Devondre to handle his business as well as the safeties, I think there's so much talent and potential trust there that you could send him on blitzes and feel comfortable enough that um, the area that he's vacating can be covered by everybody else. And again, like everything else, it just comes down to opportunities. Micah Parsons racked up stats because he had a lot of opportunities. It's not to say he isn't good, but if you send, you know, the Packers almost never send linebackers on blitzes, so we're never really going to see a lot of statistics in the sack column for linebackers. Just to put this into perspective, I'm trying to scroll here. Devondre Campbell um, had 10 pressures. He had 49 pass rush attempts. 49. Micah Parsons had 319 attempts. Devondre Campbell got a pressure on 20% of his pres- uh, on his pass rush attempts. If you gave him 319 pass rush attempts, you're looking at 65 pressures. Micah Parsons had 70. So, I mean, again, Micah Parsons did a great job with his opportunities, but give Devondre that many opportunities, and you're looking at nearly the same amount of pressures. In fact, probably a lot of uh, linebackers would have had that. So if you give Quay Walker 319 pass rush attempts, is it possible he ends up with anywhere near 70 pressures and 14 sacks, similar to Micah Parsons? Of course, because it is, it's, it's, you have that with a lot of guys. Devin White, 100, he was third on the list, by the way, 182 attempts, about half. He ended up with 49 pressures and, and four sacks. So, I mean, 50 and eight. Again, it's not as good as Micah Parsons. It's not even as good as Devondre Campbell. But that, that's, that's really the bottom line, and that's what makes it so hard to project anything, because it all comes down to opportunities. Talent is, is a part of the equation, but talent without opportunities doesn't mean anything. So Quay Walker needs blitzing opportunities. Devontae Wyatt needs to be on the field. Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Samore Ture, if any of these guys are going to win anything, it's just because they're on the field all the time. You start there. From there, you got to execute. And so my picks again, and I know Devontae Wyatt should probably be higher on the list. I just, it just doesn't feel super likely that as a rookie, Devontae Wyatt comes out and gets 10 sacks. If he does, awesome. And yep, just put a check mark right next to his name. But again, the, the only reason I think Quay Walker makes more sense is because it's easier for linebackers to get sacks. It just is. It's, it's you know, again, Devontae Wyatt, 20% pressure rate. Nobody in the world, I mean, there's not a single pass rusher in the NFL that had a 20% pass rate last year. I'm not even going to look it up because it's not worth looking at. But it's not uncommon for linebackers to get 20 because it's because it's a it's the same as is firing a corner from uh, a blitz from a slot corner. The offensive line's not ready for it, so there's there's a higher chance that they're not even looking. It's the same with a delayed blitz from a linebacker. When you bring him, the the offensive lineman doesn't get off his block fast enough. He doesn't see you, and you slip through. I don't know why teams don't do it more often. Probably because good enough quarterbacks will see that guy coming and will say, well, no, you just left that spot open, so I know exactly where to go with the ball. And so if that linebacker doesn't get there in like two seconds flat, it's going to end up being a big play. But again, if you got a good enough, fast enough defense, quarterback might be like, "Mm, I don't know. And maybe you almost want him to. Because if you know Savage can close that fast and can get up there, maybe you're just baiting a pick with that. You throw it, it's picked. If If you don't throw it, it's a sack. 
I like my odds there. So again, to revisit your question, um, are we looking at having offensive and defensive rookie of the year on our team? No, we're not looking at having both. I mean, it's not impossible, but it's extremely unlikely. Uh, what would it take to achieve that? Sacks, picks, yards, touchdowns. Does any of a, any other wide receiver have a better situation? I would say no, other than the part where, again, the Packers tend to not want to push guys out there, but there may be a little bit more desperation in this situation, which might work to our advantage. We need a guy like Christian Watson to, you know, produce. And so you're going to go out there, you're going to play, you're going to produce. And that's just the end of that. By the way, there's, there's, I'll end with this. There's a lot of rumors out there that the Packers are either trying to trade Jordan Love or are on the verge of trading former uh, Jordan Love or whatever, whatever the, the, I mean, this is literally the headline of one of the articles, Packers on the verge of trading former first round pick. A lot of this is clickbait based on, you know, people take little dribs and drabs here and there and then turn it into clickbait. So this is primarily coming from a couple different sources. Um, one of them being the report a while ago on the Pat McAfee show from um, Ian Rappaport saying, I think they had interest. I don't think they got the right price, which is a whole lot of thinking and not knowing anything. But the biggest reason why it's recropping up now is ESPN's Rob Domofsky wrote in an article, quote, Here's why it's a critical juncture for both Love and the team to look. Uh, that took him in the first round in the 2020 draft. If the Packers believe Rodgers will play beyond 2022, they'll probably try to trade Love next offseason. If they keep him, they'll have to decide by next May whether to pick up the fifth-year option on his rookie contract. Here's the situation. It's pretty straightforward to me. Number one, they're not on the verge of trading him because that doesn't even make sense. Nothing that I just read to you would indicate that they're on the verge of trading Jordan Love. It says, if they believe he'll play beyond 2022. They don't know if he's going to play beyond 2022. Aaron Rodgers doesn't know if he's going to play beyond 2022. I don't know how many times we have to go down this road and explain the same thing. He doesn't know. And when the season ends, guess what? He's going to do the exact same thing he did this past year. Unless he's already got it resolved and he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm hanging it up. But I doubt it. Because again, he likes to be deliberate in what he does. He's not going to be spending a lot of time focusing on anything other than being a football player. So once it ends, he's going to want some time to digest, to sit down, to relax, whatever. Once he makes his decision, then we'll have a better idea about Jordan Love. If he decides to leave, then Jordan Love is our starting quarterback. If he decides to stay, that's where this kicks in and you start to say, what are we going to do with Jordan Love? Now, it doesn't make things necessarily easy because you look at it and say, well, obviously he's staying, so we got to move on. Really? Because it's pretty unlikely we have Aaron You know, every, that's the thing. Every year we delay moving on from Jordan Love, we're getting closer and closer to that point where we need Jordan Love. So unless we're going to do something as far as drafting a quarterback, we can't really move on from Jordan Love because that doesn't make sense, right? If, if Aaron Rodgers says, I'm staying, and then we move on from Jordan Love, now what? What did we just fix? Well, we don't have to pay Jordan Love. Great. We don't have a quarterback. And please, for the love of all things, I know he's a good dude. I'm glad he's a Packer. Do not tell me about Kurt Banker. Come on now. Because I know there's going to be some truthers out there that are like, we don't even need him. We got Kurt, man. We're good. No, we're not. But I, I think what we're going to need to really do, the, the biggest reason I want to bring this up is I think it's really, really, really becoming critical that we get a firm answer on Jordan Love. I don't know how we get that, but there need what whatever it is that's been lacking, you need to really push this guy. You really need to push him. Because you have to get an answer on whether or not this is the guy. And if it's not, we have to do something. Something, something. Like something. 
And who knows, maybe we're going to end up being that team like everybody else these days that just trades for veterans. Because, I mean, you can't just manifest, I mean, especially if you're picking at pick 28, you can't just manifest great quarterbacks to fall to you. And do you swing at a quarterback just because you need one, even though you don't think this is a guy that's going to carry you? Or do you just continue drafting well, pick the best player available, and see how it goes? In which case, you're looking at, uh, you know, bringing in Sam Darnold or something. Oh, geez. I don't know. I hate to end it that way, but the point is, we got to start getting some solid answers because Aaron Rodgers is not going to be around much longer. This guy is, is, he really loves retirement. The thought of it, the smell of it, everything about it. He wants it badly. He just also really likes football. But every year of, of training camp, of all the workouts, all the meetings, all the stuff, all the sacks and the hits, and the, it all just starts to wear on you to the point where football isn't quite as appealing. And once we cross that threshold, we, we have a very serious decision to make. And as of this moment, we, we don't have a quarterback. And so whatever it is Jordan Love, Love needs to do to be that guy... We got to get it out of them, like this year, this year, because next year, as this article lays out, we either pay him to stay and be like the guy, like we got to give him a lot of money. I mean, it's not like break the bank money, but it's, it's, it's a lot more than you want to pay a guy that you don't think is very good just because you can't make a decision on whether or not this is the guy or not. That's not where you want to be. Or we got to move on, in which case we just don't have anybody but Rodgers. And then Rodgers really just has this team over a barrel. But anyways, um point is don't don't buy into any reports because i've seen two or three of these now um just basically quote-unquote reports that they're about to trade jordan love it's it's silly and it's based on nothing it's not to say that it won't happen anything could happen you'd be crazy stuff that happens all the time but it's not based on any kind of report these things are all just made up so anyways i got to get out of here you folks have yourselves a wonderful day i'll talk to you tomorrow have a good one Bye bye